If you want to turn with me to Matthew 18, we'll read uh, the text together for today's sermon. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. It says, Then Peter came up and said to them, to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a, debt, a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, may my, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Well, it is a, it is a glad thing, isn't it, when um, someone does the room a favor and um, sorry, I'm trying to get my device to work here um, someone does us all a favor and asks the awkward question that nobody else wants to ask remember that in school you, you like that guy don't you um, Peter Peter does all of God's people a great favor here uh, when he says um, Jesus how Often must I forgive the one who sins against me. God's people still wonder that today, don't they? It's just that we wouldn't um, we wouldn't say it that way. That's not super churchy. Um, we we would say something like, you know, when can I edit this toxic person out of my life? Because because I read somewhere that if a person is toxic, you can write them off. I read that somewhere. Aren't there certain sins against me that are are simply unforgivable? 
Do I have to forgive if to do so threatens my happiness, my, my, my comfort, my, my peace of mind? And, and, and the story that Jesus tells by way of the answer, the parable of the unforgiving servant, uh, that parable confronts us still today, doesn't it? We struggle with this. And Jesus' answer is not a suggestion, really, is it? it it's, it's, it's a command, really. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if from his heart you do not forgive his brother his trespasses. And we understand the point of that parable is not that God has torturers. But how many of us know the inner torture of harboring a bitter spirit against that person who done us wrong? How many of us know that the inner torture of a relationship that's just kind of perpetually messed up because this forgiveness thing is just elusive? It's withheld by one or both people. The point is simply this. Jesus says, you, each of you, from his heart, must forgive his brother his trespasses. And that parable in Matthew 18 really illustrates the the very truth that Jesus um, teaches his disciples, teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, in particular in the Lord's Prayer. And so let's just turn once more to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. But let's do so with that parable in mind. In this protocol for prayer found in verses 9 through 13, the king reminds his subjects, his people, those who have entered the kingdom of heaven through repentance and faith in the king. Jesus reminds us that we have the privilege of coming to God as a little child runs to a loving father, not not a monstrous father like the ones we just heard about, but a father who loves relentlessly, a father who delights to hear from his kids, who who says, come to me. And, And we come to God as father and pray specifically what? Well, among our asks, if you will, Verse 12 says, we ask, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And and just to sort of pick up where we left off last week. Was anybody here last week? All right, good. I'm going to lean on your memory just a little bit. Um, Why do believers, saved people, nonetheless still pray, Father, forgive us our debts? Well, it's because even as saved people, we still sin, don't we? Even as redeemed people with a a new heart that that loves God and, and and that new heart is now warring against the sin nature, even as saved people, we still fail from time to time in our loyalty to the king. And, And our privilege is not to pretend otherwise, but, but to run to the king and ask for forgiveness. 
And Jesus says, hey, you dare not come to the Father seeking forgiveness when you yourself refuse to forgive those who sin against you. And so he says in verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And let me just repeat for the sake of clarity. Again, we're kind of picking up from last week. We do not earn salvation. Amen? We do not earn God's judicial forgiveness of our sins by forgiving other people or doing anything. Jesus is speaking to believers here. Jesus is speaking to forgiven people, if you will, who nonetheless still sin and, and, and have this need that all of us have to come to God and say, I want the sweetness in our relationship restored. I, I'm not going to pretend that this isn't happening. Father, Forgive me. And so it's, it's to his disciples now that Jesus gives this, this sort of excursus on, on forgiveness following the Lord's Prayer. And it's instructive to me, uh, so I'll foist it on you. It's instructive to me that this is the only part of the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus um, gives commentary on. This must be really important to the heart of God. The unforgiving heart forfeits peace with God. Anybody know this by experience? The unforgiving heart testifies that a person has lost touch with his own pardon from sin. Just as that first servant in the parable in fact, a completely unforgiving person, a merciless person, is simply demonstrating that, that she has never really sought nor received mercy from God in Christ. James 2.13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What a sobering thought this is then. For the people of God, the unforgiving heart has far more in common with those who are apart from Christ than those who belong to Christ. Now, I want us to just notice, are you still listening? I want us to just notice that in um, Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, sin is likened to a debt uh, just as in the parable in, in Matthew 18. Forgive us our Debts, says Matthew 6, 12. What, what, what is that about? How many of you know that we are born with an immense, unpayable sin debt to God? And we add to this debt every day of our lives apart from his grace and mercy. That's the point of the parable. The, the first servant owned, owed 10,000 talents. Get this, a talent the largest named quantity of, of money uh, in ancient Israel is worth about 20 years' wages, one talent. So the first servant in the parable owed his master thousands of years' worth of wages, okay? In other words, Jesus is using hyperbole 
to show that this is, a, this is an unpayable debt. In fact, the number 10,000 uh, in the language of, of, of Jesus' day uh, signified an, an infinite number, okay? Meaning what? This servant <laughs> doesn't have any kind of hope for paying back this debt. Signifying what to us? Every person's sin against an infinitely holy God incurs an infinite debt against him. That's why hell is eternal, by the way. It's to do with the holiness of God. So what do you do? Can, can you just ignore the debt? Like people ignore their debtors in that sense today? Is it possible that that describes you? You say, what are you talking about? I'm in a church on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, come on. That, 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 you, there's something in the positive side of the column, isn't there? Well, th- think of it this way. I, I, I have no doubt whatsoever that every Sunday uh, in a group this size, there are some who are served notice in Scripture uh, of their great debt before God. And yet every Sunday, the, the notice is, is, is essentially thrown away. The, the, the debt is ignored. Be, because if you just pretend it's not there, do you realize, friend, that simply knowing the truth about sin and repentance and faith in Christ is not the same thing as possessing those things yourself? Are you ignoring your sin debt with God? You can't ignore the debt. What else can you do? Uh, well, you can try to pay the debt. That's what the first servant in the parable pledged to do. Did you notice that? We're so familiar with that parable. Many of us, we kind of blow past that part where he said, he's, he's going to work this thing off. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. It would be funny, but for the end of the parable, Right? How silly it was to think that he could possibly pay back thousands of years worth of salary, wages. It's, it's an impossibility. He clearly doesn't understand the gravity of his situation. And I ask you, do, do, do you understand the gravity of your situation before God? Familiar as this all is. Or do you imagine that perhaps you'll pay this debt to God? Well, there's more good in my life than bad. How about that? Yeah, but is there there any bad? The correct answer is yes. Well, you're sunk. The Pharisees did that, didn't they? How, How did they try to pay back the debt? They just changed the words and meanings in God's moral law. That's what we saw all throughout chapter 5. If you redefine God's moral law so that you can actually obey it, that's not really adultery. That divorce is okay. You you got the certificate, didn't you? 
I mean, don't worry about telling the truth. You had your fingers crossed. And, and it's not like you, you didn't pinky swear, did you? Tell me you didn't pinky swear. And outwardly, they kept the religious rituals that kept them feeling religious within themselves and looking religious to other people. Everybody said, there goes the religious people. But, but the nature of true religion is what? I will give them, I will take that heart of stone, says God, and give them a heart of flesh. I'll give them a heart of flesh that actually loves me. The nature of true religion is love for God, not, not trying to use God, trying to manipulate God. So just think of this, insincere religious activities that essentially seek to use God. Uh, working it off, so to speak, simply adds to your debt to God. Like what? Like, think of our court system trying to bribe a judge. What happens? You get, you get, the penalty's worse, right? Not better. And yet how many still to this day say, God, here's a couple hours on a Sunday. Let's just pretend I'm not disloyal to you Monday through Saturday. Let's just pretend I'm not indifferent to my neighbor in need. Let's pretend I'm not looking at that filth on my phone. Let's pretend I'm not gossiping about her. I'm not flattering him. Here's your two hours. See you next week. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. Aren't you glad we can't relate to that? You can't ignore the debt. You can't pay it off. You can't bribe God. In fact, Jesus points to all of that really religious-looking stuff, and he says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Lots of people on that trail. What is the narrow way that leads to forgiveness and life? Well, you can have someone else pay your debt, can't you? But even there, sinful man, sinful woman stumbles. Because who would you go to to pay your sin debt? Well, you don't understand. My my parents were like A-plus Christians. I mean, they went to church when the doors weren't unlocked. They just came in anyway. Oh, my granddaddy was a, was a preacher? The problem with that is every person you go to belongs to the family of debtors against God. Every person on the planet is hopelessly indebted to God. And the only person who can pay your sin debt is God himself. That's the, good catch. That's the, that's the whole point of the parable. Aren't you glad your father chases after you like that? And if we're not careful here, friends, we're going to hear the gospel. Because this is exactly what our father has done for his people in the gospel. God, the eternal son, born into humanity, 
so that infinitely holy God, as a man, Jesus, our king, uh, kept his own moral law for you as your substitute and then went to that cross and bled and died the only death that would satisfy the wrath of God for your sin. Nobody else's would. And my sin. So that anyone who embraces Christ as Savior and King, I mean, anyone who repents and trusts in the risen King, the risen Christ, receives his righteousness. And all of our sin, all of that debt is placed on him, paid in full, finished. Are you glad for this? And you see, no one else can do that for you. No, no one else can repent and believe for you. And it isn't just that we're judicially forgiven. We are promised a relational forgiveness every time that we come to the Father. We come to the Father and by faith we ask for forgiveness. And every time we ask as God's kids, he applies the efficacy of that sacrifice of Christ on our behalf once again. How long? Well, until the day he calls you home. He'll never disown us. Though our sin at times puts a strain in our enjoyment of the relationship, the, the, the loss of intimacy in that relationship, every time I repent, I'm forgiven. This is, this is the scandal of the gospel. This is the scandal of God's mercy and grace. And so how can we not then be those who forgive the comparatively small debts that others accumulate with us? I don't mean they're small in the sense that they're insignificant, those who sin against us, but small in light of what God has done for us in Christ. And friends, this is, this is vital to our relationships. This is vital to our testimony in the community. So Jesus offers then his only commentary on the Lord's Prayer in this vital matter of forgiveness. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Uh, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The king's people are a forgiving people because they've been forgiven. A refusal to forgive <laughs> grieves the heart of God. And in fact, a completely merciless spirit indicates that we, we've never tasted this forgiveness from God. And, 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 and the, 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 the challenge with this, are you still listening? The challenge with this is that, you know, we sometimes will hear people say to us, well, you really should forgive because, you know, if you don't forgive, you're just drinking your own poison and, and you're going to get sick and, and you're going to be carrying that around the rest of your life. And that, and that, that, that is true for sure. But do you know the, the, the main problem with unforgiveness is that it, it grieves the heart of our Father? It, it's, it's disobedience to God? 
We're not being commanded to forgive so we'll feel better. That's, that's a, a fruit of forgiveness, perhaps. But, the, but that isn't the goal. This is, this is to do with the Father's name. This is to do with his kingdom. This is to do with his will being done. And these are hard truths, aren't they? They're not hard to express. They're they're not hard to understand. They're just hard to obey. And there's the rub. We're called to obey. And in the power of the Spirit, the wonder of the indwelling Spirit within us, we're enabled to obey this command to forgive. So there, there is a sense in which, I know it's already 1130, but this is really um, kind of the beginning of the sermon now. And, but, but the good news is it's going to be pretty short. What a way to look at it, huh? Um, we need to know what forgiveness is. Because a lot of us, I don't know about you people, but the, the guys in the first service, um, really good at calling something forgiveness when you just sort of edit somebody out of your life. You just go to a different church. Problem solved. Forgive, the, the Greek word aphiomi re, refers to leaving something behind, abandoning something. You know, canceling it, if you hurling it away. You know, you get the idea. I'm going to abandon my desire for retribution. I'm going to cancel any plans to penalize that one who offended me. With God's help, I'm going to just hurl that away, that, that, that mental calculation that, that is so natural to me to keep score on that offense. That's, that's gone. So to forgive someone who sins against me is to choose to release them from the real debt of their sin. Why why do I say real debt? Because forgiveness does not pretend the offense didn't happen. That's not forgiveness. Calvary is not God pretending your sin doesn't matter. Forgiveness does not minimize the offense. It, it, It doesn't pretend it was not hurtful. Forgiveness means the debt has been canceled. How? How? Well, well, think about how we learn things as as youngsters. We we learn how to throw a baseball, how to catch a football. Somebody said, watch me. Maybe dad said that. Watch me. And and you did, and, and now you can do that stuff. You could teach somebody else to do it. You learned how to bake cookies. You learned how to bake a cake. I learned how to eat cookies and cake, as you can see. <laughs> but maybe mom taught you to do that, right? She said, watch me. And you did. And kids, you have on your listening guide some space where you can just draw pictures of what your parents have taught you just by watching them. And parents, I apologize for what you're about to see. This is what you've taught your children. But, but here's the thing. All of God's here, kids here, learn to forgive when the, because the Father says to us in Christ, watch, watch me, watch me. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. How how many of you are glad today that when God forgives you, he doesn't keep bringing up your past offenses? And aren't you glad we don't do that to other people? All right. How many of you are glad that when God forgives, he doesn't put you in the penalty box? Not in terms of your relationship with him. So do you guys, do do you care if this is practical for a minute? We're not really forgiving someone who repents of their sin against us if we simply say we forgive them and and yet we're still making them pay. I, I wonder if this might apply to somebody's marriage, so, somebody's relationship with their their adult parents. Are you withholding attention from someone you claim to have forgiven? Are, are you withholding affection from someone to whom you've said, "I I forgive you." And the thing of it is, is it messes with our enjoyment of our relationship with God, doesn't it? Ephesians four thirty one and 32 says this, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Do you hear hear what the Father is saying there? Watch me. Watch me. So forgiveness is a relational commitment. The the, the sin debt is canceled. Uh, The the record of the sin is blotted out relationally. you've, You've relinquished the right to exact payment. That's how... Our Father forgives. And by the way, this is just extra, um, but, but the whole notion of forgive and forget, just get rid of that. Um, that that's, that's not biblical, not, not really. Now, the, script, the scripture does say this, Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. But, but, but don't we understand that that is man-centered language. That's called an anthropomorphism, if you care. Um, but God doesn't have a memory problem. It's not that he, he struggles to remember stuff. Like, I don't remember most of yesterday. Um, maybe you can relate to that. But that's not what this is saying. God chooses not to remember your sins against you. And so this whole idea that we're supposed to forget, and then we say, well, how do I forget? How would a Maasai girl forget what had happened to her in her childhood? She wouldn't. But by God's grace, she would choose not to remember that sin against her father. How astounding is that? 
How, how are we to forgive? The Father says, watch me, even, even as God in Christ forgives you. Now, let me just um, suggest to you, you still with me? Right, we're, we're getting close. Um, how do you know if you've really forgiven somebody? Do you ever wonder that? Well, there's a couple of tests here. God's forgiveness leads toward relationship, not away from it. This is the gospel. The gospel isn't, I forgive you, now get away from me. We'll see how it goes. The motive of forgiveness is future relationship, not separation. Proverbs 17.9 says this, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. And so by God's grace, when we forgive, this is not a strength we have. This is a work of the Spirit of God. We're enabled to extend goodwill to that offender. We, we, we would desire restoration if that's possible. Why do I say if that's possible? Because forgiveness does not guarantee reconciliation, does it? When someone who sins against us is unrepentant, reconciliation is not possible. It's desired. Forgiveness is is that one-way thing. Um, Reconciliation is a two-way street, isn't it? give you a quick example. Matthew has already shown us in his gospel that John the Baptist denied baptism to certain um, Pharisees and Sadducees because um, the Lord enabled him to see that they just reeked of insincerity. They just showed up to be baptized because everybody was showing up to be baptized and so it seemed like a good chance for them to score some points with the people. And John the Baptist said to them, hey, you guys should uh, go go uh, show some fruits of repentance, right? And, and so when there's this, this unwillingness to own the sin, reconciliation is not possible. The, the Pharisees showed up to, to John's baptism just you know, as if to say, oh, sorry, God. And I know you've never done this, but perhaps it's been done to you when you've said sorry to somebody without really meaning that. You just kind of like the mess to go away. Aren't you glad you can't relate to that? Wouldn't that be awful if you had ever done something like that? The other thing we need to know about forgiveness is that it does not remove the earthly consequences of sin. In fact, a person who's truly repentant will accept that there are consequences to sin. A husband who's cheated on his wife repents sincerely, has been forgiven. You can't expect that that relationship is just going to go back to the way it was instantly. Trust is going to be rebuilt by God's grace. An employee caught stealing still needs to go to jail. Repentance, true repentance, embraces that there is a consequence to sin. But when we're truly repentant, um, 
the Lord graciously allows us to accept those consequences. So I, I mention all of that not to be tedious, but to acknowledge that these are really hard things. And, and we don't want to confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. But here's something to think about on the way home. What, what was it that Jesus cried from the cross? One of, one of the things that, that came from our Savior's uh, soul put to words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And, and so there is a certain thing as, as forgiveness through tears, right? Let me just close with this. I think we'd have to acknowledge, at least I do, I can't speak for you all, but I think we'd have to acknowledge that we have a lot in common with Peter because Peter's the guy who asked the question nobody else wanted to ask. Lord, isn't this forgiveness thing going to get out of control? I mean, mean, when can we start building self-protective walls around ourselves? How many times does it have to be that we forgive? Seven times, because that's more than twice what the rabbis say. That sounds pretty good, right? And Jesus' answer is what? I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, the kingdom of heaven is like that. He says to kingdom people. Jesus says to us in Luke 12, 48, for everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if we were to pray this this familiar prayer, Father in heaven, we want your name to be hallowed. We want your holy name to be honored. We want your kingdom to come to this place, to this community. We want your will to be done in our churches in Kootenai County. Wouldn't that prayer suggest a desire for grace to forgive? This is what I want you to do, says the king. I want you to be extravagantly merciful people. I want you to be profoundly and persistently merciful, forgiving people. I'll enable it by my spirit. Why? Why? Because you've been forgiven. And and those whom God has forgiven eternally are set free to forgive others. Amen? All right, that's it. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you so much for the wonder of your cross. Lord, that we we have a debt to you that we can't possibly comprehend. You've created us to be your image bearers, Lord, and and not only by birthright, by nature, but in practice, we've we've gummed it all up. But Lord, you are merciful and gracious to forgive us as we cry out to you. We thank you for the perfect life of our King, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for his... Thank you for the mercy seat, for the cross. Thank you for erasing our sin debt, Lord. Not because 
we deserve it, but because your mercy is more. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in each of us that we would become increasingly like you. Lord, we pray believing this is your desire, so we pray it with with hope and with expectation. Teach us to forgive, Lord. And we ask you this for your name's sake. Amen.